Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. of the Athletic Football Show. Welcome to the Athletic Football Show. I'm Robert Mays. Before we jump in today, I want to tell you about New York Times Audio, a new iOS app for the New York Times, all access and new subscribers. It's got our show, plus all the other podcasts from the Athletic, exclusive shows, narrated articles, and more. New York Times Audio. Download it now at nytimes.com slash audio app. Joining me today, it is my good friend, Nate Tice. Nate, how you doing, buddy? Doing very well. I put on my podcast uniform on again. It's so my... frustrating when we both have the backwards hats on. I, I, I know. I, I was going to do my hair, but I, we had like a call with our wedding planner this morning, and i I'm, I'm got to do a bunch of stuff before I like, disappear for a little while, so I'm like cramming a bunch of stuff in. I didn't have time to shower. And I never know if you're going to show up with the backwards hat on, and then you did, and I'm like, God damn it! I just, but we had to change shirts because our shirts were way too similar. And too like, we can only go so far. Gray, gray shirts, backwards hats. Uh, I know. It, it, there's a lot of times where it's a good reminder. It's like, oh yeah, we're both from the Midwest. Like it's just, uh, it's my staple outfit. Is like I've worn a hat almost like every day since like junior year of high school, and my my wife was the one. That, she like made me change my shampoo because she's like. Hey, you know, like you're losing your hair because you like don't let your hair breathe. And it was like, and I, anyone that's ever seen my dad, that's my, the fear of my life is like, oh, I'm going to lose my hair. I'm okay. I'm okay now. But it's like, yeah, I wear a hat every day. It's just, it's habit. I worked at a profession that let me wear a hat, coaching and scouting. I could just wear a hat every day. It was great. So yeah, but now it hasn't changed. It hasn't changed at all. My thing is that the hair is either done or it's not. There's no way yeah. I can just let it go. So, Part of my plan is, and I floated this to Casey many different times, is that after we get back from the honeymoon, I kind of just want to buzz my head oh. just so I don't have to deal with it. She is vehemently against. Oh, so I've had to try too. to slowly convince her that it's not a bad idea. But every time I bring it up, just she's not happy about it. I, I go to the same like stylist, barber, whoever. She's great. I've gone to her for a while, like multiple different places. And I've gotten her on board. So I feel like I'm slowly starting okay. to recruit the right people that will allow me to do this and not care about my hair for like six straight months. But I'm not sure I'm going to be able to sell who will soon be my wife. I'm yeah. not sure I'll be able to sell my wife on this idea when it comes time. I lost that battle because I used to just always shave my head. Number two all the way around. It was great. And then my wife, because she's from Southern California, the same high school that CJ Stroud went to, Rancho Cucamonga, but way different part of age. Uh, she... Okay, the hair had to grow out, and the pandemic kind of kind of helped with that because I didn't see anybody for like seven months, so it's I just grew the hair out. And then I trimmed it off, and then now it's kind of medium length. But then the other thing was I have no more plaid clothes in my collection. No no more plaid button downs. At all. I only had a couple. It wasn't like a staple, but it's like that's gone because my wife is like – she is trying to just go like you're not from the Midwest. Like she's trying to like – no one wants – she doesn't want people to guess that. So it's like that's – those are the two things I've got. My hair got longer. 
and no more plaid clothes in my in my outfits. So I am horrified by the amount of my friends whose significant others slash wives pick out their clothes. It, it, it's <laughs> truly shocking to me. Every single time I hear about it, it's like, what? You don't dress yourself? And it happens way more often than you think it does. My wife's quality control. It's more like, hey, I pick out the outfit and I go, okay. And then it's like kind of just, she's the check, she's the filter, just in case if something's not looking right. But we've got a lot of, uh, what do we call it? They're kind of like, uh, you just have like the pockets of outfits, like, so like three shirts that go with the three yeah, pants. So you're, you're, just like, you're supposed yeah. to do that. Yeah. yeah. You mix and match it. I'm there now. I'm 33. I'm there Attaboy. now. Attaboy. Yeah. So it only took me a while. It took me a while to get there, but we're there. All right. If you guys can pick up on the tone of what the show is going to be, <laughs> we're doing a mailbag today as we are doing every Monday throughout the off season. Just wanted to say, Again, thank you so much for all the questions. I'm, I'm not even going to solicit questions next week when, when we're doing this because we have so many that I haven't even been able to read. A lot of good voicemails this week, more voicemails oh. than we could even use. So we're going to be using awesome. a ton of them here over the next couple shows. Sincerely appreciate you guys taking the time to send them in. It always means a lot. So again, I think it goes without saying, very grateful how engaged all of you are with what we're trying to do here. And starts with the first question here. This is the first one I opened, by the way. John, really? John Truxis says, I was listening to the discussion about Miami's draft picks and the assembly of so many players with explosive speed made me think about parallels in other sports. Is the idea there similar to the five-out offense where shooting all over the floor opens up so much extra space for each individual player to work in? What would the limitations be for an offense designed like that? Are there just not enough singularly exclusive skilled players available to build a whole team on the idea? Or is it a situation where the defense can take away those short passes with big yak unless the quarterback running the offense has the full set of skills to keep them honest? Great question. It Love is. it. Great way to start. Yeah. And cross sports reference. So yes. right up my alley. Uh, I think when I think of the football version of five out offense, I, I get the the idea of this speed being three point shooting. Um I think of five out, five out offense in football being like what the 49ers are doing, where everybody has versatile skill sets as opposed to just speed, if that makes sense. I, yeah. I sort of understand that. That's kind of what I look at it as. Like, that they're a, like to me, that's the equivalent. Because in a five out offense in basketball, is everyone can shoot, everyone can dribble and drive, and everyone has that skill set. And then if you want to yeah, post it's interchangeable, up, right? Interchangeable. I guess that makes sense. Okay. That's I, where my brain went. So um, I think the alignment of skill sets, that's a very good comparison where it's interchangeable yeah. skill sets. You can switch everything on defense. Yeah. Like that's exactly what the Niners are trying to do. But I think the idea of space as currency yeah. is why this is comparable. And we've heard so much over the last decade about the gravity that someone like Steph mm-hmm. Curry has when he's playing. Tyreek Hill has gravity. Yes. That's the change. And the other yep. reason that I think this is particularly interesting in the context of the Dolphins is the Dolphins aren't a yak offense. No. It's, it's a misconception. People think that Dolphins are this yak offense because the Niners are and there's the overlap mm-hmm. with Mike McDaniel. The Dolphins were near the bottom of the league or way it's, closer to the bottom than you think. There's a chuck it offense. Yes. <laughs> so the way that they create space is that they can work underneath, right? Yep. So they're creating so yep. much space and the gravity is so pronounced that you're creating this ocean of space in order in which to throw the ball. It's not yep. get the guy ball in the guy's hands and let him go. So – We've so we saw what the limits of this are, right? It's yeah. don't let them have the space. Yeah. I think the Chargers were the team that starts to introduce where the limitations of this are. The, yeah. Everyone's so terrified to play man coverage against the Dolphins because they didn't want to just be burned down. But if you don't let fast guys run fast, if you jam them at the line of scrimmage, if you yeah. be physical with them, that's where you can start to do a little bit of damage. And yeah. that's where the Dolphins, the next stage of this, on some level, you have to match the physicality of the teams that you're playing yes. against, either with the running game or with some receivers who can bring some physicality to what you're yeah. doing. 
And that's funny because I was I, the I my second part for this was talking about the downsides of going with speed or why doesn't everyone do this? Like, well, usually a lot of the fast guys are small. Yes, and usually because if they're big and fast, you're probably not going to get your hands on them. <laughs> like as far as drafting and acquiring them, because there's only so many that can actually yeah, yeah. do that. There's, there's one Jamar Chase every five years in the draft, right? And yeah, lecture. There's going to be a Marvin Harrison and like that. There's not a lot of those guys walking around the earth. And usually, if a guy just is winning with speed, they don't have skills. They don't have Correct. catching ability. They're just a take the top off guy. That's why Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle are so incredible. Is because yeah. they actually are receivers. Tyreek Hill is rocked up. Tyreek Hill is 5'10", but Tyreek Hill was built in a way that very few players in NFL history are built, and he has to stop and start. If you're – a lot of teams – a lot of the guys that are speed guys in the NFL, they're take the top off guys. They're wiry. They're straight mm-hmm. line guys. They don't have the change of direction. They can throttle down. Yes. <laughs> or like even J- Jalen Hyatt, right? Like yeah. he's just the guy that Jaylen he's Hyatt. think about yes. how they're built. They got yes. a little bit longer strides. Like, mm-hmm. and they're, you're not worried about them throttling down in front of you. That's why the Dolphins are so terrifying because yeah. they can throttle down in front of you. They, if you're playing over the top, they're going to make you pay underneath. Yeah. So I think there are limitations of it, but I think that we've seen that idea idea that you would explore with creating more space on offense expressed in what the Dolphins are trying to be. And a lot of offenses too, and this is what we talk about ability to pivot or have answers to. We talked about the Chiefs, we talked about the Bills, um, and this is where it's nice having that ability to pivot and have that size that you refer to, either through the run game or having a ball winner on the outside, uh, a thumper or a ball winner, because sometimes you, you need it. And that's what the best offenses do is just, oh, you, you're taking away this. Well, we're going to go to this. And that is where some, it's not a limitation, but it's just like, you just have to have that in your bag. Like we see in like the NBA in the playoffs, it's the benches get shorter where the teams are only playing six, seven guys sometimes. And they just go, oh, oh, they're taking away this. They're taking away the pick and roll. Well, we got to do this now. And that's where you see it's just that ability to pivot. It's the same thing with football. And sometimes you just need those different skill sets at different times based on what defenses are doing. I thought that was one of the coolest things and it's so funny because it technically was the worst part of their season for the Dolphins in December was that that second half of the Chargers game and then the Bills game the next week or a couple weeks after where all of a sudden they just went to they changed their offense to an under center run game and that was really cool maybe appreciate Mike McDaniel even more to do that in real time so it that Ability to pivot is something that's always needed, and sometimes that's a limitation when you are built around five nine, one hundred eighty pound speed guys. Uh, that could be ha- that could happen. All right, Bella, let's get to our first voicemail. Hey, Robert and Nate, this is Brian from Alaska, hardcore Eagles fan. Wanted to let you guys know how much I love the show, as everyone says, because we have to, because you're the best football podcast in the country. But after that obligatory statement. My question is a fun one for you guys. You do a lot of serious questions on this pod that are great and insightful, but I was hoping you could take maybe the top five or eight fast food chains throughout the country and determine which teams or quarterbacks, your choice, are those five or eight fast food chains. So, for example, who would McDonald's be? Who would Burger King be? Chick-fil-A, Hardee's? in and out, so on and so forth. I think it would be a really fun exercise. Thanks for all you do. Bye-bye. All right. So I struggled with this because I think that this is also dependent on how you view the fast food chains. Right. So the only, like, for me, the best fast food chain would be Patrick Mahomes, but, like, my opinion of the best fast food chain is different than what a lot of other people's are. So we are going to rank the fast food chains, your first, your your favorite five. That's how we're going to answer this question. I like that. The only answer I had that was in line with the question is, the Patriots are McDonald's for me yeah. because they're the most successful, but not for me. 
Like I just 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 not for me. Like, I don't. I understand it. I respect the yep. mo- the monolith that has been created there. Yep. But I'm gonna go to ten different places before I'm going to choose McDonald's. In McDonald's, you know what you're getting. Like that. That's that's kind of what it is. Is I, it good? Is it bad? You know. There have been getting. two times in my life where I frequented McDonald's. The first was when I lived in Los Angeles, California. I lived at Crescent yeah. Heights and Fountain in West Hollywood, and there was a McDonald's essentially at a little strip mall at Crescent Heights and Fountain. So there were times where it was the only fast food that was open or within walking distance or whatever. So every once in a while, I would get McDonald's. The other time is my first apartment in Chicago after I moved back was in like near North River North, like Chicago and Clark. And the only thing that was open at like four o'clock in the morning was the 24-hour McDonald's that is at Chicago and State. So that I was right by my old apartment. It was open 24 hours and I was 27 years old. Uh, there yeah. were plenty. There were plenty of nights at that stretch of my life where I was walking home from Old Town, and I needed McDonald's at five o'clock in the morning. Those are the two options. It was when there was literally nothing else. Nothing else. And That's, that is yeah. when I will tap into McDonald's. But let's hear your top five because okay. this is this is a very big question. It is number one for me, and part of it is the experience of not knowing what you're getting every time. Number one for me is Popeyes with a, and I love Popeyes. Is that my top five? I'm a okay, huge fan good. of Popeyes. Good. Uh, I mean, even just talked about my Southern California wife. I've introduced her to Popeyes, and that hasn't been the best thing for her because she's just like she loves it. The, the biscuits, when the spicy chicken sandwich was incredible when that came out. Uh, anything spicy there, I love the oh, mashed potatoes with gravy. Now I'm starving and want Popeyes. So that's one for me. And two, and this is kind of a cop out, but two for me is Chick Fil A. I I love Chick Fil A, especially their breakfast. I love their chicken biscuits. That's what makes their rating so high for me is the breakfast. This is, it's very funny that I also have something on there solely because of the chicken biscuit, but it is not Chick-fil-A. Okay. Well, I might have that one too. This is I'm I love chicken. Like so when I go to a fast food place, I I defer to the chicken selection. So obviously I'm gonna like the chicken based fast food joints. But having said that, number three for me is In N Out. <laughs> so love In N Out, love being that I have access to that in Las Vegas. It's been a blessing. My first exposure to In N Out was at the Rose Bowl, a tradition for the Thursday practice is that they or the equivalent to a Thursday practice because they play on New Year's Day is that they bring an in and out truck and the team gets every everybody on the team gets two double double burgers. So our we got per diem. I'll just tell a quick story real quick because this just reminded me. <laughs> we have per diem uh every day and it's great. So we're in LA because it's the cost of living for the bowl game. So when you're in LA, that per diem is pretty nice. But the offensive lineman, we'd have van access. The offensive lineman for Wisconsin, the freshman offensive lineman were kind of they're the grunts of the team. They're, uh, you might use a different word, but uh, it starts with a B. But it's like they're kind of, hey, you do this. You got that. It's kind of the initiation. The offensive line runs a team, but when you're a freshman, you're the lowest on the totem pole. So the senior offensive lineman, the elder offensive lineman would make them use their per diem to go get everybody else in and out. I was the backup quarterback, so I was the honorary offensive lineman because I had to do blitz pickup and all the inside run and all that. So I got the advantage of having in and out uh, for, paid for me by the freshman offensive line with a per diem. But anyways, that was our hazing at Wisconsin. Was, go, <laughs> go get us in and out. Um, anyways, so that's three. Four is McDonald's. And I hate it, but I, I hate that I, this is in my top five, but it is. I, I like it a little more than you do, but I every time I eat it, I feel bad afterwards. But those first couple nuggets and those first couple bunch munches of fries, I'm like, yes, this is so worth it. And I then afterwards, I can't do it. I can't I'm fine. do it. I, I totally it. get it. I just, I, I, again, there's so many things. I totally that I get, would it. get before I have McDonald's. So totally many get it. 
I know it's not for everybody. It's so maybe I'm part of the Patriot way. Uh, I think, and then five, this is hard. So maybe I should drop McDonald's out because I actually do like these places better, but it'd be Bojangles or Jack in the Box. And oh, Jack in the Box only because those tiny tacos are freaking amazing. And I love those tiny tacos and the curly fries. So that the would curly be. Curly fries are great. It's the only, the, to me, it is the only redeemable part of Jack. Have you had the, the tiny tacos? I have had the tiny tacos. I'm not a huge fan of Jack in the Box. I, yeah. I, I have, again, proximity. So that's five The old, the ringer offices were in Hollywood. Okay. And the only thing that was open at a certain point that I could get, or maybe not the only thing, but it was just like right there, is there's a Jack in the Box. On Sunset, right across yeah. the street, essentially, from the Arclight. And it was right where the hotel was that they would put us up in. So there have been times where it was, like, late at night. And I was there, like, over the course of the weekend that I would occasionally get Jack in the Box. And I would not feel good about it. It's um, bad. But I, I, I've come around on it. And I like it more and more. Especially the tiny tacos. That's it. <laughs> we have some overlap here. So, Yay. Okay, so my number one with a bullet, not even close, not a conversation, is Taco Bell, obviously. I knew that. And I, I knew I, that. I've had yep. this conversation a hundred times. I, I could do an entire treatise on why the cheesy gordita crunch is the perfect fast food item. It, it is. It is like the the way it was built. And I was going to make the Chiefs Taco Bell because they're constantly innovating with the same ingredients. <laughs> like the that, same that, that was my, So that was my like extension of this. And I, I truly believe that the cheesy gordita crunch is the greatest fast food item ever created. It's chewy. It's cheesy. It's crunchy. It's got all the textures in it. It's exactly what you want late at night. It's like a one handheld thing. You can eat it in the car. It is the greatest fast food item ever created and there's a bunch of other really good stuff on the taco bell menu always can i, can I pause you real quick because not not pause the show kent garrison our other producer does uh has done great content for us he just texted me because he's a dallas stars fan they're playing the golden knights tonight game one that we're recording this he just texted me unprompted a picture of popeyes because he said it's game day and he was just showing me his food He's not on this show where we're recording right now, but the fact that he literally, I mean, I swear to God, 9.29 a.m., it's 9.35 right now. Like, that that that's ridiculous. That, uh, sorry, I just had to bring that up and on the show. Sorry to interrupt your, your so Taco Bell this praise. Is, it, th- this is all what I want to eat. Like, if I'm stacking yeah. up, like, if I, I want fast food, these are the things I go to first. Taco Bell okay. is number one. The okay. amount of times I've gotten Taco Bell with someone who's never seen me eat it before and like i can't believe you're about to eat all that it's like yeah i fucking am oh, like don't worry shocked. about it i've seen okay? you eat i'm not shocked <laughs> number two number okay. two on my list is bojangles oh, nice i love the bojangles chicken biscuit there are very oh, few yeah? things in my life are as automatic as when I am in the American South and good. I am moving quickly. Like I just need fast breakfast when I'm on the move. Training camp tour, in the Charlotte airport, whatever. The spicy chicken biscuit from Bojangles and the, the Bow Rounds and everything else. I yeah. love Bojangles breakfast. It is my favorite. So that's why I had that over Chick-fil-A. I love it. I love it though. Number three for me is Culver's. Oh I, yeah, I, yeah. I love yeah. me a, I yeah. love me a Culver's. I love the butter burgers at Culver's. I love the fact that you can get a side of cheese curds with your burger yeah. at Culver's and then the ice cream options are just yeah. so good all the time. So a burger, that's a, a good side one. of cheese curds and a cup of whatever the scoop of the day is at Culver's, that is like the perfect summer fast food meal to me. I discovered Culver's too late at my Wisconsin experience. So I didn't get much exposure to it. So but it's it's fantastic. That's a great call though. Popeyes is number 4 for me. I okay. just think Popeyes is awesome. It's awesome. The, the it's blackened so ranch at oh, Popeyes yeah. that you dip the chicken in is my I might be my favorite sauce. Chick Fil A has really good sauces. I love mm-hmm. the honey roasted barbecue. I love the Chick Fil A sauce. They've but the blackened ranch at Popeyes just does something. 
to one. my soul and the, the biscuit like the biscuit plus the chicken so sometimes i'll just open the biscuit put the strips on the biscuit i just a huge fan of popeyes love the fries so yes, big fries fan of great. that all so, their sides are top notch all of them so popeyes is for and i love wendy's i just the combination of stuff at wendy's like a spicy chicken sandwich at wendy's plus like that is like a son of Baconator or just like a normal cheeseburger that they have. Like the, the combination of those two, I like the nuggets at Wendy's, like the spicy nuggets. Spicy nuggets are good. I, I enjoy it. So that's, those are my five. Like I, but I feel very, very strongly about Taco Bell and Bojangles. Like those are I two like. places that even as I, my food taste has become, you know, a little bit more elevated. Those two things, like if I pantheon of all time foods for me, mm-hmm. no matter how like many two star Michelin restaurants I've eaten at, like a cheesy gordita crunch and the, Pot or the Bojangles chicken biscuit, they're still in that oh, conversation for me. I totally get it. Uh, I oh, Bojangles is so good. That's why I had to include it. That's why it was a five A five B. I don't have a lot of access to Bojangles right now, so that's what's same. Always, that, me neither. That's just what when I travel. Me. I know and that. That's what kills me. Vegas is nice because we get a lot of different regional flair too. Mm-hmm. It's for we get all of it. We get in and out. We get some other spots that are usually only regional. Uh, so that's what's nice. But Bojangles, yeah. Bojangles is kind of hard, uh, kind of hard to get access to, but great, great call. Love, love Bojangles. All right, let's get to our next voicemail here. Hi, Robert and Nate. Uh, Patrick from Houston here. I'm calling with a question about preseason hype teams. Uh, seems like this year's offseason darlings are the Lions, understandably so. They ended last year really well and, you know, seems to have had a pretty good offseason, the draft being an exception. But every year it also seems like we have these off-season darlings that falter when the actual season happens. So I'm curious what to make of teams like the Lions going into uh, the upcoming season. Is are, If you have any thoughts about kind of how to temper expectations and if there's any, like, stats that we might be able to look at on these kind of preseason teams that have a bunch of hype but and how they do in the actual season. Love the show. Thanks a lot. Looking forward to the answer. Bye. It's a great question. Mm-hmm. I here's my initial read on this. And it's hard to get like actual numbers on it because it's hard to define what the preseason hype team was. Right. You know, there was the year where the Browns, you know, were, mm-hmm. were really exciting and that was just like a total miss with the Freddie Kitchens era. So I think that's some of it is that okay, two different things. I think one thing that we do as a mistake is we ascribe late season success as a predictor of what is going to happen into the Mm -hmm. next season. We do this for teams. We do this for quarterbacks. It is not always the case Mm -hmm. because that's not how development and trajectory works. It's not always linear like that. So I think that's a mistake. One of the reasons I think the Lions are a little bit different than some of the other preseason hype teams that we often fall in love with is that a lot of that preseason hype is typically derived from star power and skill Mm -hmm. position players. Mm Mm-hmm. The Lions hype is derived from the opposite of that. They don't have any star power or skill position players. That's not why people are excited about them. I know. So I think they're just a very different version of what this preseason darling sort of looks like. And that's why I think there's such an interesting entry into the history of these. No, it is. And also, you got for me, it's focusing. I think we all do. And I'm part of this way guilty of this sometimes, especially with my Mariners and Timberwolves fandom is you only focus on what could go right. And as opposed to what could go wrong, what are the weaknesses that could go wrong? It's not everything is the disco stew meme, like everything, not everyone's going to just keep going up, 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 up. Like even a successful year for the lions this year might include seven losses. Like they might go 10 and seven. And I would say that's a good year for the lions. And I think that's what 
during the moment of the team of the hype is that in the middle of the season, it might not feel that way. Like it just, you know, the preseason and the postseason. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, they actually had a good year, but like they might lose three in a row. We go, man, this is a failure of a year. So just saying that sometimes that human element is a big, big part of this, but um, they had a lot of hype last year. The Lions specifically, the hard knock stuff, the overall friskiness of the team, yeah. Dan Campbell, Dan Campbell was the favorite for coach of the year um, because probably a lot of that preseason. That hype, was, so. they're going to be better than we expect them to be. Yeah. This is, they're playing the chiefs in the first game of the season on national television. I know. It's not That's fun. an entirely <laughs> different conversation. Yeah. And I, but, I do think again, they're a little bit different though. Cause a couple other, all the examples I could think of that have been bad, right? The Chargers have been super hyped up over the last couple of years. Last year's Broncos had a mm-hmm. ten and a half win over under before the season started. It's the second highest total in the NFL after the the Bills and the Bucks. Okay, That's their Super Bowl odds. The Broncos last season, their Super Bowl odds were one, two, three, four, five, six, seven teams had better Super Bowl odds than the Broncos. That's it. Last year they had better Super Bowl odds than the Bengals. They had better Super Bowl odds than the Eagles. The the Broncos last year. Wow. And then going back to those Freddie Kitchens Browns teams, the three through line things with that, we underrated the potential failure of the offensive play caller dynamic and how it would play into the success of the team. Okay. Mm-hmm. Nathaniel Hackett last year with the Broncos, mm-hmm. Freddie Kitchens with the Kitchens, Browns teams, yeah. and what the Joe Lombardi experience was like with the Chargers. <laughs> That's an aspect of the Lions that you feel best about. Yep. So that it again, they're just a very different version than we're used to seeing with these teams who get a lot of publicity and a lot of excitement around them heading into a season. I, again, there are plenty of downsides though. Yep. They don't find weapons. The offense stagnates. That the structure of it can't carry it to the same degree it did before. Jamison Williams doesn't click into place. I did Mina show this week talking about the pivot players and X factors on all the NFC teams. It's not quarterbacks. Jamison Williams was mine for the lions for this exact reason. And who knows what's going to happen with the secondary and the defense and the front seven. They don't find another, they didn't find another pass rusher. They get hurt at at corner and suddenly they get really thin there. So I, I think that it's similar, like you're saying, where we have to explore what the downsides are, but they do feel like a slightly different version of this kind of team for a couple different reasons. Yeah. Even like the, the dream team Eagles team, uh, that's the year that Andy Reid moved his offensive line coach to defensive coordinator. You know what I mean? So yeah. it's just a like, whoa, like, uh, oh, it doesn't matter. Look at all the pl- town, all the players. And that's, you know, we're talking about offense play car, but even defensive play car as well. Uh, but yeah, for the Lions, I think everything you just laid out would be my quote unquote, this is what could go wrong. Do they have enough pass catchers to scare people? Do they have a front seven that can hold up for 60 plays a game? Um, I think you're speaking of secondary depth as well. So those are just for that specific case. But I love that point, points you're making is that the usual downfalls, you know, the head coach gets guys to play hard for him. That's one good thing. You know, that's another thing that sometimes is like a guy like Freddie Kitchens a couple of weeks in, also everyone's like, oh, this isn't the guy. We're out. You know, then, so you get that kind of human element apart. Players like them. Okay, then offense coordinator, great point. Offensive line is the one of the strengths of the team. So that's yeah. usually another downfall of the team. Li- we always forget the Lions when we're doing these teams. And the Lions are not like that. The Lions' yeah. best position group, arguably, is their offensive line. Right. So, no, all good points. But it's – it's. I think for me, if you're just talking in general, general talking about teams that are hyped-up teams, it is focusing on what could go wrong or what is new or what is expected to be better. What if it what if it isn't? What if it does not exceed or, or go upwards? So that's what you just have to focus on overall when you're talking about these teams. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? 
Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. All right, next question. This was great. As I described it in our document, simple yet effective. Ethan Siegel says, I'm curious if you think from a team building and roster construction perspective, if there are any teams that stand out as good process but bad results or vice versa, bad process but good results. I like this one. It's a great question. Uh, It was. Uh, I actually had – I'm going to start with the bad process, good results. Uh, I think the 49ers might be the best one for this. 100% on my list. (laughs) First thing that came to mind when I was talking about this or thinking about this, I mean, not much to lay out. The Trey Lance trade is just a good good kind of like – <laughs> they traded of four first round picks, essentially the equivalent of they four are. first round picks for a quarterback who doesn't play for them and a running back in the middle of last season. They've traded amount of first round picks as has many starts as they've gotten out of them. Four first rounders for four starts so far. So that's that's it. And then the CMC trade, which worked out great. Sherrick for them. McKinnon contract, McKinnon contract, even the trading, contract, uh, trading up for Trey Sermon. Like the amount of yeah. they have done a fantastic job building the defense. They've done, they've gotten so many guys who are trading a nothing for Charles Amenahu and get it, having him be a rotational piece for you. Yeah. Going to get Charvarius Ward. They've done such a great job of building that side of the ball. They deserve yep. so much credit. The offense is. What do you got for me, Kyle? They, and the skill it's, position players, obviously. Yeah. But I, I still think that there's so many different things that other teams would not be able not to really. overcome. My exact line, I had my bullet point because I didn't need anything else. I just said, I wouldn't exactly be copying how the 49ers built their team, but it works for them. <laughs> so good for them. Like, But I wouldn't be doing that. Uh, the the Rams, one, by the way, also a bad process, good also, results team last year, yeah. two years ago. They they. At least they got the ring out of it. And yes. so it's like, now yes. they can just go, whatever. Like, that's how, I mean, that's how I look at it. I still think McVay should just roll off into the sunset. But uh, I would say the other one, and this is maybe because I can't help myself, is the Jaguars have had a little bit of, not process I would follow, uh, investing a ton of money into off-ball linebackers and draft pe- draft capital and off-ball linebackers, overpaying for <laughs> slot-only receiver, taking a running back in the first round, Travis Etienne, who has been a dynamic player. Don't get me wrong, but still, <laughs> let's be honest here. Uh, so not exactly what I would follow, uh, but Doug Peterson and uh, Trevor Lawrence have kind of washed a lot of that away. It's very funny you say that. That's a much better one than the one that I was going to say that's similar. It's the Bengals to an extent. Like the Bengals rebuild is driven by the fact that they got Joe Burrow in a year where they were the worst team in the NFL. And then they were so bad the following year that they got to pick Jamar Chase the mm-hmm. following year. The way they built the defense and, and how thoughtful right. they've been about those pieces has been excellent. I think that their front office has done a really good job over the they last have. couple of years. Their but pro scouting should get a lot of like absolutely a big, thumbs, a big two thumbs 
thumbs, uh, big two thumbs up. But the 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 la- the match that lit the fuse yeah. is just we were really bad, and now Joe now Joe Burrow is our quarterback. So that's not the greatest process. The process has been improved. All right. Yeah. Th- so yeah. the, the, ni- the Niners and the bank, the Niners and a team that lucked into the number one court, number one pick when a franchise changing quarterback <laughs> were available. Those are the two types of teams I was thinking about. What about on the flip side? <sighs> bad, a good process, bad results. I'm, I'm going to be a caricature myself, but the Colts. <laughs> It's uh, maybe not being a great, I would say the lack of aggression at quarterback. I mean, but they did still trade for stuff was maybe one thing I wouldn't say is good process, but I understood some arguments for it. But I think a lot of the other stuff, trade back, trying to get a lot of bites at the apple and the, and the, as far as draft wise, even a trade like for like DeForest Buckner, I actually like that because you got like a real needle mover yeah. and you had the cap space to do it. So I know I, I, I've kind of been a, Bowered apologist and last year kind of got me off of the train and then they try now they draft Anthea Richardson. I'm like, I'm back, baby. Uh, so it's, I don't know. That's a team that maybe the results haven't always been there, but I understand their process maybe is the best way I can put it. Uh, yeah, that, that'd be the one that comes to mind at first. And then the other one I had was the Ravens do a lot of good things. And sometimes Son the results are just, are they, the, are they the two same? Exact same teams I had. <sighs> so we had three of, three of the four of these God answers. Damn it. <laughs> but, I- but who else? I mean, I went through each team and I was kind of like, those are the ones I got. Because usually yeah. good process leads to the good results. So with the Colts, and I think that this is a good exercise, is where where have we been a little bit misguided about our appreciation for how the Colts do things? Yeah. And I do think that I've kind of changed my tune about this a little bit over the last couple of years. I think that being a good general manager is about being proactive more mm-hmm. than it's about anything else. It's about saying, how many different avenues do I have to improve my team and how many of those avenues do I explore? Okay. Yeah. A traditionally valuable process and mindset to have as a general manager is I know less than I think I do in the draft. So let's trade down. Let's be patient. Let's not overrate my ability to scout these players because I probably don't know that much more than everyone else. The Colts mm-hmm. have done that. Okay. Don't overspend in free agency on mediocre players. The Colts yeah. have also done that. But the other avenues that we're talking about, the Colts don't do as much of. They don't turn over every rock when it comes to saying, like, let's make sure we're getting every single hole filled on the roster with low right. cost moves. Okay. The Zadarius Smith trade. I think, by the way, the Brown, I think Andrew Barry has done a very good job with this over the last couple he's, of years. He's had, I, I saying it again, I know I've already said it's like three straight pods. They're having a good offseason. They really <laughs> like are. The Browns have hit at least a lot of doubles, like this offseason. I'm, yeah, I mean, I'm very curious to watch Browns. And where Andrew Barry comes from, or the last stop he had before he was in Cleveland, was Philadelphia. And this yep. is exactly what the Eagles do all the time. The, e- the Eagle, it's it's contract structures that are beneficial to them. It's low-cost trades that are beneficial to them. It's trades down in the draft that are useful to them. It just consistently, every single place, it's there's aggression, but it's well-targeted aggression. Mm-hmm. And I think that is the part of the process that the Colts are missing. I want to see a little bit more well-targeted aggression. Yeah. And I think that the Andrew Anthony Richardson draft pick is a version of this. Yeah. But I think that's my issue. With the Ravens, they've had that. The Ravens have picked their spots where they've been a little bit proactive to try to make mm-hmm. some splash additions with talent. Odell Beckham. Odell. Odell. But even like the Marcus, Marcus Peters trade and Marcus signing Peters, Marcus yeah. Williams. And they, yep. they've, done, they've done a lot of this. But I think that they just haven't gotten needle movers in the draft. Yep. Again, same sort of issue we talk about with the Bills. And I think that they ran out of road with the version of the offense that they were running. Mm-hmm. But on a team-building level, and I, I think that the team-building shortcomings with the Ravens are fueled 
by the mindset that they had on offense. We have this hyper-specific way that we play, and it has allowed us to de-emphasize the need for outside pass catchers. And I think that that kind of ran them into a dead end, but I don't think that's necessarily bad team-building process. I think that's bad structural process for how we should build our offense around our quarterback. But I think and how they added talents, I think there's a lot of good things going there for the yeah. Ravens. And that's – it's. They've set themselves up to never kind of like the bottom doesn't really fall out for them because they've kind of like built up so many just other singles and stuff like that. Other just minor moves, even something like what the Eagles do or you're talking about turning over every stone to find talent or accumulate talent like the Jordan Mailata through the international pathway program. Like that's another way that they got they got creative. They probably got Jeff Stoutland's advice and just were, hey, let's take a chance on a seventh rounder. They got a left tackle who's a good left tackle. In the seventh round. Like, that's remarkable. And they did it by getting creative and finding a different avenue. So, churning the bottom of the roster, finding cheap vets um, and trades, you know, that are where teams are just trying to save cap space or, you know, the CJ Gardner Johnson uh, for the Eagles last year, you know, just finding ways to patch those holes, finding guys on the cheap, James Bradbury on the cheap. You know, I, I think just Hassan Reddick, you know, speaking just all these Eagles, these minor moves, quote unquote, minor moves, they're not the splashiest things in the world. But if you just got a lot of pebbles going into water, it turns into a big splash. And you see what the Eagles do when you hit all these singles and doubles and they work out. But I think what the Ravens do, I understand. They also try to find stuff through analytics and through other studies. They try to turn over those tones, uh, stones. So I just think that is just finding everything. You get so many weapons and so much in a toolbox to build a team. Let's use all of it. Like, let's not just be focused on what the traditional ways are. And I think the teams we're talking about, they do a pretty good job. Mostly Eagles, Ravens, um, and like you mentioned, the Browns a little bit now. They're trying to find different ways to build a team than just the traditional means. Here's some first and second round picks from the Ravens since 2015. Rashad Perriman, Max Williams, Kamale Correa, Tyus Bowser, Hayden Hurst, Marquise Brown, J.K. Dobbins, Patrick Queen, Rashad Bateman, Odafe Owe. And then that leads us to the 2022 draft. Those are all first or second round picks. I mean, there just aren't that many. I mean, Lamar, obviously. And then they got Mark Andrews in the third round, Marlon Humphrey, Ronnie Stanley. It's like they have a bad hit rate, but they don't have a great hit rate for early picks. And you can argue with the process for those picks. You can argue against Patrick Queen as a high pick. J.K. Dobbins is a high pick. Like those aren't high value positions necessarily, and that's where they've run into some issues. But like, oh, it was a first round pick. You know, they've had guys. Rashad Bateman was a first round pick, premium positions early in the draft that just haven't developed into star level players. The Ravens have a lot of good players. The Ravens don't have that many great players, and I think that is where the process has fallen short for them a little bit. The results have fallen short for them a little bit. And and, and injuries. You know, Ronnie Stanley gets banged up. You know, Bateman and everything. So you can't control that, but. No, I totally agree with you. It's just, even when you look at their defense, I'm always like, yeah, they they came on last year too, especially after the trade uh, uh, linebacker um, for, for Roquan Smith. But it's just, yeah, you just don't feel like there's that guy, the game changer types. I think Kyle Hamilton can be that. And I think the move to the slot was inspired. And I think that he's going to be a dynamic player from that position. But it's an entire Linderbaum too at center. And again, non-premium spots. But those guys will be good players. And I think, Good players are they needle movers, and I think that's what they just need. They need more star tower, star talent, star power. All right, let's get to our next voice, Mumbler. Gentlemen, how's it going? This is Jr. in Seattle. So we know that if the Cardinals played the Chiefs a hundred times, that the Chiefs would probably win like honestly eighty percent of the time. I don't know, might be a little bit less, but they'd win the majority of the time. But 
What if you combine, like, the Cardinals and the Texans? Would they beat the Chiefs, the Cardinals, the Texans, the Titans? Basically, what I'm asking is how many of the bottom-tier teams would you have to combine until you got a team that you could comfortably say would be 50-50 or 51-49 against the Chiefs? All right, thank you guys so much. This is a great question. I know. I, 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 I didn't take two teams. I, I did take about three teams, units, and a 5'10 quarterback to, to kind of build my, my patchwork team, which is the Raiders' weapons, the Titans' defense, the Texans' O-line, plus Kyler. I oh, think that's, that, that's a lot of teams. I don't think you need that many teams. But I'm not like going like, <sighs> like Raiders' offense, Titans' defense might be one. That would want. I think that could be a fifty-fifty shot. But then it's just like, man, that Raiders old line got to be a little worried. Uh, I'm, I'm out on that. Also, Jimmy, I'm I, I'm I'm definitely out on that. I so the, so. What do you have? I have the Texans, the Cardinals, and the Titans. Okay. Well, so I went three teams plus Kyler QB. Uh, so oh, that's four teams. That's four teams, though. That's a well, lot of teams. It's three in a in in a, a short man. Like Listen, I don't he know. asked I how many teams. Okay. okay, and you use four teams. That's I'll a lot use of teams. three. I'll use three and Tannehill. So, so that yeah, ten, so it's, so is the quarterback that I landed. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so okay, three. I, and here's the reasoning for those three specifically. Okay, I well, I started with the, the Texans and the Titans. I, like that was just like where That's, I started, right? Me too. And so the Titans, you get the whole defense. Yep. Okay, and that's God. that's very important. The yep. Texans, you get some offensive line pieces. Okay, you mm-hmm. get Laramie Tunsil, you get Shaq Mason, you mm-hmm. get Derek Stingley, you get Will Anderson, you get some young pieces on defense, and then. The Cardinals, I needed the receivers. That that because even if you combine the Texans and the Titans, you have no pass catchers. Yeah. Like you have no firepower to kind of go at those teams. So that's why I think I, I needed the Cardinals in this. And then it's do you want Tannehill or Kyler? Yeah. I like and that. I, I picked Tannehill. I like that. What's what's the Raiders? Raiders are at six and a half. So they're one of the lesser teams. So I went the Raiders weapons. That's just what because I thought that was just easy to just go. Okay, that's definitely that's <laughs> definitely a good way to do it. But I, yeah. I just I, I picked three teams as a whole. Yeah, like and then and then you get Skaransky on that offensive line. So your offensive line yeah. is Tunsil, Skaransky, Paris Johnson, Shaq Mason, Ooh, that's, that's uh, Kenyon Green. So like you could, you could do a lot of damage with that. Yeah, and then we'll see. One of those guys has to play center. We'll figure it out. And then <laughs> the, the Cardinals honestly might have the best two receivers of the, those two teams. With Hopkins and Marquise Brown. And then Traylon Burks can be your number three receiver, which you know feel, feels a little bit feels better, right? right? <laughs> yeah. And then I, honestly, from those three teams, it's mostly the Titans defense. Yeah. Oh no, Titans like, defense. It's, is, maybe you add them. Derek Stingley as like one of the other yeah, outside corners. Yeah. And again, you drop Will Anderson in there. Danico Autry becomes like a inside player in this conversation. Yeah. But that those are the three teams that I went with. But it took those three teams. It took three. It wasn't two. That, I think that's the moral of the story. It wasn't two of them. It was yes. three for both of us uh, in some way, shape, or form. So that I know because at first at two, I was like, Titans defense. Okay. Okay. All right. Now, what offense? And I'm looking at the Texans offense. I'm like, mm, not quite. You know, Raiders offense, mm, not quite. You know, Titans offense, no. So that that was the harder part was p- patching together that offense. I, I love this. This is a fun exercise. This is great. I, I love being able to just look at those couple teams and try to patch it together. 
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Don't just ride the index, seek to outperform it with Fidelity Active ETFs. Learn more at fidelity.com slash active ETFs. Before investing in any exchange-traded fund, you should consider its investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Contact Fidelity for a prospectus, an offering circular, or if available, a summary prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully. While active ETFs offer the potential to outperform an index, these products may more significantly trail an index as compared with passive ETFs. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE, SIPC. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Next one here. Phil Goad says, Hey, Robert Nate, loving the show, especially during the offseason when you could do some more nuanced dives rather than be in the heat of the moment. I heard a stat that made me think of the, about the value of a number one quarterback, especially with teams already talking about teams like Arizona waiting for Caleb Williams next year. In the common draft era, only four number one overall quarterbacks have won a Super Bowl with the team that drafted them. Terry Bradshaw, who did it in a completely different league. Troy Aikman, <laughs> who won his three the dawn of free agency. Drew Bledsoe, who wasn't even starting, but was still on the Patriots roster. And Peyton Manning who won the same Super Bowl record in four seasons in Denver as he did in 15 with the Colts. Is there anything to be learned from this, or is the draft such a crapshoot that these teams just get luckier than everyone else? Thanks for the content getting me through the week. What do you think about this? Okay. Other thing is that little piece of trivia, it always leaves out because it's the technicality, Eli and John Elway, because yeah. they were traded. So it's all that's the other thing with them. But I think just overall, my, my longer answer, and I'll look at specific cases, but it's just – I think what the star quarterback is, is it gives you a chance. It gives you a chance to find the hardest position to find in sports. And it's any given Sunday. Anything can happen always. But at least having the star quarterback, the chance at the star quarterback gives you the chance that we checked that box at least. So that's what it's about. It's getting to the dance. And then it's a crapshoot. The NFL is a crapshoot overall. But having a top tier quarterback is the best thing you can have. So that's what that's what it's doing. Um, But if you look at like number one quarterbacks, even I – I always try to look at like kind of modern NFL since 2002 when it went to eight divisions. That's kind of just how my brain works. And, you know, Burrow has gone to the Super Bowl, a couple of AFC championship games. Cam Newton went to the Super Bowl, won MVP. Goff went to the Super Bowl with his same team. Stafford won with the Rams. So that's kind of, eh. so it's not with the original team. 
Carson Palmer had a lot of success with the Bengals until it kind of got messy. And then luck with the Colts. They were winning 10, 12 games, uh, you know, that division. They battled his injuries and the lack of team help didn't, didn't help him out, of course. But generally, it's going to work out where you, these guys are going to hit. And when they do hit, it really helps your team. You know, the ones that have kind of quote unquote missed, maybe or haven't had the team success are Baker, Kyler, and Jameis. You know, Sam Bradford as well. Alex Smith kind of, you know, go with that. But even Kyler's had some success, you know, and like him specifically and also with the team. Baker, they had a quick run and Baker became Baker. Um, and then Jameis is Jameis. But it's I think that's what it is when you're taking these guys. Is he, yeah, you might not win the grand prize, but you're giving yourself a chance because it's the hardest position to find. We have a lot of evidence that it's easier to find top quarterbacks at the top of the draft. It's just that's yeah. where you're going to find them. It, yes. It's even if the hit rate isn't fantastic, it still is easier to find them at the top of the draft. Yes. I think the argument against this is that there have been times, Alex Smith being the perfect example, the Niners were a fucking disaster Terrible. when Alex Smith was drafted. They were a disaster. Like for the first three, four years of his career, they fielded the worst offenses in football. It was an absolute nightmare. Okay. His rookie year is like one of the worst years in like quarterback history. If, if you, you look if back, back at, at the guys that have been bad for a certain number of seasons and eventually got good, it is a very small list. Alex Smith is the best example of that. He yep. went from the terrible situation he had early in his career to getting to John to Jim Harbaugh and then to Andy Reid. It's it's a study in how much situation matters. And that is what I think is changing. I think that teams are recognizing that you can't thrust these guys into horrendous situations, right? Like the Carolina goes from nine to one. So they already have more pieces than a team typically mm-hmm. picking number one overall, but the offensive line coach is there. The offensive line coach is intact. They went out and got a couple pass catchers. You know, they have a decent play caller in Frank, Reich. Mm-hmm. It's the show we did about what you need in place mm-hmm. to be a successful young quarterback. I think teams are more in tune with what that looks like. I think the quarterbacks are cheaper. Than they have ever been at the top of the draft within the new CBA. So I think it allows you flexibility to build around those guys. What was Sam Bradford making when he was drafted? Oh, I mean, it was an insane amount of insane money. Insane amount. Okay. Set so, the record. Set the record, I think. I think that has changed. And I think that co- I believe this coaches and front office people are better at their jobs than they used to be. Yes. They're That's, just, they're just without, better at their jobs. Without a doubt, they are. Without a doubt, <laughs> the, the the flexibility, the open mindedness, yeah. the mindset yes. of these guys has yeah. shifted. So I think that you're going to have more quarterbacks that are drafted number one overall put in circumstances that are going to allow them to succeed. Yeah, I, I just believe that because I, I think too. that the organizations are the people running them have just gotten a little bit smarter, even if they were bad enough to get the number one pick. Right. Like the yep. Colts, like the Bears with Ryan Poles. I think that Ryan Poles knows what he's doing. Yeah, I, I think that he has a sense of like the right ways to go about building this team. They were just so bad in year one that they happened to have the number one overall pick. Right. Okay, so and I that's I believe all of that stuff. And I also think, like you said, just because Andrew Luck never won a Super Bowl, Andrew Luck was the right pick and a very good pick yes. for the for the Indianapolis Colts. He made them relevant immediately. Immediately, 12 immediately, wins. I think they were yes. twelve four. The rookie year, <laughs> Joe, Joe Burrow has transformed the Cincinnati Bengals. Yeah. Trevor Lawrence being in Jacksonville, it, it makes all it's, of the difference. Yeah. And there's only the best way to get that type of guy is to have the number one pick in the draft. Mm-hmm. That's just how it is. Mm-hmm. It absolutely is. I know we're talking about the number one pick, but even last year's draft, and you had a great kind of talk. We were talking this out, and where Ritter and Malik Willis went in the third. Sam, uh, Sam Howell went the fifth. Matt Corral went the third. And it was, why aren't these guys second-round quarterbacks? 
And it's like, because coaches even got smart and personnel members have gotten smart about, well, that still puts pressure on the quarterback. Because yes. to fans, that's still a high pick for a quarterback. That's still the Drew Locke situation, the Brock Osweilers of the world, where it's like, oh, well, we got to play this young guy. We just second round pick. We got to play. Second him. We round play. picks are starters. Yeah. At any and position. That, and so I think a lot of those, the teams that go, well, let's just wait around and take them in the third. And that kind of just changes per- perception of these guys. So I think that's just an overall, again, snapshot that uh, these coaches and personnel members have gone. They're a little bit more patient. They're a little more uh, understanding of situations, understanding like all of that stuff. Like they just have more, um, you said open-mindedness, and I think that's a great phrase for it, but just understanding of how the league actually operates as opposed to maybe some old adages. They're updating the adages and updating how the modern NFL lens through the modern NFL lens. And I think it's league wide. Like I can count on my hand the ones I would be like, eh, I don't know what they're doing. And those guys are trying to get weaned out. It seems like where there's a lot more of these patient guys understanding draft capital. There's different systems. Not everyone using the Jimmy Johnson trade chart. Everyone's changing their trade charts. Just a lot of small things like that where it is a lot more just flexibility and creativity from these guys, which I think is awesome. I think there are a lot of teams that are just being driven by an organizational curiosity that didn't exist in previous iterations of the NFL. And I think it's going to force us to update our long held beliefs about certain stuff. You know, the one I keep coming back to and comes up in every conversation I have with personnel people or coaches or whoever recently, and we're just like bullshitting is quarterback accuracy and like the Mm -hmm. Anthony Richardson thing and Mm -hmm. just how, is, is it really a skill that is just crystallized when you're a young player? Is it more malleable than we think? Can you get better at it? Can you improve in ways that we didn't previously anticipate? What is the most important skill set that you can have as a quarterback coming into the NFL? Like All of these things, I think, the dialogue about them, if you go back 10 years, fuck, if you go back five years, if you go back to when Baker was coming out, it's like, well, yeah. he's the most accurate quarterback in the league. So that like that's what is going to matter the most because he's the most accurate and that's the, the skill that translates. Yeah, that that's the one that doesn't change. So I think that it's really important for us to keep updating this stuff because I also think the teams are updating it more yeah. often than they might have been in years past because of the data and because of who's in charge and all of those different factors. Yep. There's so much information out there, even just so you can scour football Twitter. And I, I learn things, especially on the defensive side all the time, even just through Twitter. That's what I'm talking about. That's just Twitter. That's not conversations. That's not clinics. That's not these guys' personal dialogues that they have with each other. I also think that kind of, you know, coaches are still paranoid to a sense, but I do think they're willing to share more information and there's more stuff out there. And these guys are smarter about it, using technology and all that and using the data that they're presented. And I think that's why things happen so quickly now. And I think they're, these guys are so much, they're way more better at using the information and being able to take advantage of it than. Like you said, even five years ago, I mean, you should see how many old coaches that couldn't even operate a computer. And now you got, and I, I wish I was joking, uh, but no, uh, to my dad, my, oh, okay, quick, this will all end with this quick little side story about my dad and what helped him out when he first started coaching. He taught himself how to use Microsoft Word, Microsoft Excel, Microsoft PowerPoint. When I was learning it in second grade computer class, he took my notes and taught himself that's how he learned Excel and Microsoft Word was using a second grade computer class. But in 1996, yeah, that was yeah. like, that was like, holy shit. Like, I don't you know can how to use, use Excel. It's 2023. <laughs> <laughs> you can use computers because he got lucky. He worked under Brian Billick, who was really on the forefront of technology and all that. So he got lucky that he, Brian Billick was like, hey, this isn't going away. Like technology is not going to get easier. Like you're, it's going to, there's going to be more of it. It's like, you're going to have to know this stuff. So my dad took that to heart. But 
more of these coaches, a lot of them grew up as quality control coaches using this technology. They're all in their 30s and early 40s. They use this stuff. They're Gen X and millennials and Zoomers now. So I think that's a part of it. And I, I really like that. I think it's been a lot more fun to cover the league where it's not just like, oh, look at this idiot. Look at this idiot. And this guy's talking about grit and hard, hard nose stuff. You know, I talk about that stuff sometimes too. But that I think stuff that, has I, I value. It does. But I think it's but about being open to other things creativity. that also have value. Yeah. The accuracy stuff is interesting. I, I've always. I've always thought you only can bump it once, one point on the scale. So you could go from above average to good or average to above average. And usually that, to me, accuracy ties in not really mechanics throwing wise. I think you throw how you throw, but footwork and mental side. And I think people are learning that too. And so that's been fascinating to me is looking at mechanics stuff and what actually matters. Because I think people think of a throwing motion like, oh, just throwing it with your arm. No one's seeing this right now. But I'm just talking about <laughs> but throwing it right there. But I think it's more tied to your footwork and your mental side. And I think people understand that as well. Guess what? I think that we're going to have a larger conversation about that at some point this summer. Woo. Okay. That is all that we have for today. As always, guys, sincerely appreciate you sending in the questions. Again, we'll be doing the mailbags every week uh, until the end of the off season, including when I'm on my honeymoon. We may be recording a couple of these early. Don't worry about it. Thank you guys so much for taking the time to send it in. Please remember to check out the Football GM on Thursdays. Just one more note. I just wanted to keep reminding people about that. And if you could, this offseason, things are a little bit quieter. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. You know, we're going to be back putting out a lot of stuff on YouTube. We're doing some fun kind of video idea generation stuff here at The Athletic. We want you guys to be a part of it. So go click on the subscribe button. We're going to be rolling out a ton of great YouTube stuff over the rest of the offseason and into the season. And if you could, take the time to leave a review of the podcast on Apple Podcasts wherever you listen. You know, if you like the show and you've never let us know, please do because it does help us and we would appreciate it at this time in the calendar when things are a little bit quieter. So that is all we have for today. Appreciate you guys listening. We'll talk to you soon. This was the Athletic Football Show.